0: Good morning, TCC. I'm Cooper Goddard. I've been attending TCC for almost two years now. I'll be reading from Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, to chapter 6, verse 2. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Cooper.
1: Good morning, Terwilliger Community Church. It's always a blessing to be able to worship together, and what a great morning to witness two baptisms. Hopefully that that was a blessing to you as much as it was to me. Um, It's always a joy uh, to to see that. This morning we will continue on in our series, Uh, Life Together, and baptism ties so well into that. Uh, So um, this morning I'll be talking under the title, A Community of Accountability. And I didn't mark my spot in my Bible. A few years ago, uh, my wife Jolene was getting into gardening. And so we were living in Three Hills in an apartment building, and as these apartment buildings typically do, we had one of those shared gardening plots uh, that a whole bunch of people were using. And so she got her plots and began planting zucchinis and carrots and, and tomatoes and all sorts of things, and um, her plants were doing really well. They were growing good. And uh, one day, one of our neighbors came and knocked on our door, and he humbly asked Jalene if he would be able to take one of her zucchinis. She's like, What? Why do you want one of my zucchinis? And what this guy had done was he also got a plot of garden, and he took a zucchini plant, he put it in the ground, and while the zucchini plant was uh, kind of producing leaves and different things, it wasn't showing any evidence of producing fruit. Well, I googled this a little bit, and it appears I'm no gardener um, that zucchini plants they need to pollinate with other zucchini plants in order to produce fruit. So while you might see some leaves pop up and things, the zucchini actually needs other zucchinis in order for it to produce fruit. And so Jaleen uh, responded to his request with a yes, and, and he went and took one of her zucchini plants, planted it next to his zucchini plant, and given a few weeks later fruit begins to appear. Friends, I wonder if we are a little bit like zucchinis, where when we isolate ourselves, when we keep ourselves from being in the soil of life with other people, that we actually keep ourselves from producing fruit. We keep ourselves from producing something that is enjoyable and pleasant to eat, if you like zucchinis, or maybe a zucchini muffin, you know. We need one another. We need to speak into the lives of one another. In the way that two zucchini plants need to pollinate one another um, in order for fruitfulness to be evident, I wonder if we need one another speaking into our lives in order for fruit to be evident. And when I think about our culture and this current cultural moment, I, I see individualism is so on the rise. One of the problems with individualism, this idea of um, I can live life totally on my own, this lone ranger approach to life, is that it actually pushes itself against any type of accountability. Individualism does not want to be kept. uh, People who are individualists don't necessarily want to be kept accountable. Individualists, though, they do want community. They want community to be affirming, and they want community to not offer any type of critique. Or correction, but rather to just celebrate everything that the individual is living out. But I need to ask the question, is an individualism that rejects any form of accountability actually a good thing? Is an individualism that rejects the voices of other people bringing critique or bringing correction, is it actually the best way forward? Because whether or not you're a Christian, or you're just checking out church life or faith, I think it is essential that we do life with other people. You know, the life that Jesus describes uh, for us in the Gospels is one of abundance. And I think we all desire a life of abundance. And we read here in Galatians—thank you, Cooper, for reading for us from Galatians chapter 5— the types of people that Jesus wants to see us become. Describes us as the Spirit of God works in us as being people where love is present. Joy. People who are full of peace— Patient. That as the Spirit of God works on us, we are kind. Goodness is flowing out of us. We are faithful. We are gentle. We have a measure of self-control, which is to say that we aren't just pulled forward by our desire, but we can yield our desire for the sake of others. Now, when I read that description, it is appealing to me. I read the descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit and I think, yeah, I want that in my life. And I believe the teaching of Paul in this text as well as the the message of Jesus and what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks communicates to us that as we move towards that, we need to do so in community. Friends, we grow in community. The way of Jesus is one which invites us to becoming more of who God created us to be. And community is a context in which we may experience profound growth. So this morning, I want to talk about this idea that there is a call for us to follow Jesus into this abundant life. Jesus has invited us to follow him, and that as we follow him, he describes it as being life and life abundant. And we talked about two weeks ago how the call to follow Jesus is simultaneously a call to community. That when Jesus said, come and follow me, those who he was calling were also invited to join a group of other followers. And as the years and centuries have gone on, here we are sitting in this room, a group of followers of Jesus, all here together, not just following Jesus, but following him together. And as we walk this Jesus way, one of the beautiful things about accountability is that we have this group of people who can speak into our lives and say, hey, Jesus has given us a way to walk, and I want to help you walk in it. There is a way, there is a desire that Jesus has for us and as a community can speak to us and lead us and help us to walk in that way together. As I read the New Testament, I can't help but notice that that is kind of the nature of the Apostle Paul's letters and the, the, the writings of Peter and John. They are writings to the, all these different communities of faith and they're basically saying, this is the way to walk. They're writing to them and appealing to them, this is what Jesus has for you, this is how you walk in His way. So I want to talk about this accountability piece from two perspectives this morning. The first is a macro perspective, which is looking at the church as a whole, uh, the reality of you sitting in this room this morning. And then I want to talk about the micro expression of accountability. So first a a few words on the macro. The idea I want to communicate with this macro is very simple and even rolls nice off the tongue. We grow up as we show up. We grow up as we show up. The idea of us just coming together, there's something profound about simply being a part of the Christian community. The fact that you are here this morning, there's something profound about that. Philosopher and theologian James K.A. Smith, who's done some brilliant work around Christian discipleship and thinking in that area, he writes that the very fact that we gather says says, says something implicitly trains our imagination in a way. It trains our imagination in a way. And just think about it. What have you done since you've been here? We engaged in singing together. And that as we sang, we're actually fulfilling a New Testament commandment to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That as we came into this space and we lifted our voices together, we sang about a heavenly reality. We sang about Jesus Christ who died and rose again from the dead. We sang about the new life we have in him. We together sang about how we want to build our lives upon his love. We declared through song to everyone sitting in this room that Jesus is the firm foundation on which we build our lives. So when we sing these songs, not only are we worshiping and singing to our Father in heaven, but we also sing to one another. And as our our voices brought together in unison are, are lifted up to the Lord, We invite each other to see the world differently. We remind ourselves of the story of the gospel. We remind ourselves that the story the world tells us is not the only story, but that there is a story grounded and rooted in truth, a story that comes from God, a story that informs us how to live our lives, and we sing it to one another. And then, of course, we engage in learning. The church of the centuries has always had this educational discipleship bend to it. We read in Acts chapter 2, what did the early church do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayers. But this devotion to teaching, they wanted to learn from the apostles all they had to teach them. So we too sit and learn. We hear teaching from the Word of God. We remind ourselves what God's Word has to say to us. And we help each other walk in that way. Well, our singing and our learning is not enough, but it's also our participation in this community. That we come and we don't just sing, we don't just learn, but we offer ourselves as a part of the mechanism that is uh, this faith community. And if you think that your part doesn't matter or that it's insignificant, Paul in 1 Corinthians writes that the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Friends, our participation and contribution betters the whole of this community. And I want to suggest to us that it simultaneously betters yourself. It leads you towards maturity. It helps you to grow. So we grow up as we show up, as we sing songs of faith, as we sit under the teaching of the word, and as we participate in the community of faith, there is something that is going on inside of us. So thank you for being here this morning. I want to add a layer to this, um, that we also grow as we walk alongside those who are different than us. Last week, I talked on the significance of us having a common identity. The reality that as as a people of God, we share certain things in common, that we are a family, that we are representatives of God to the world, that these parts of our identity, that we are God's children, that we are His beloved, we all share that collectively. But what I love about the New Testament is its, its emphasis and communication that though we share a common identity, it does not abolish the things that make us different. In fact, our difference is actually a strength, as in it, it is the context of this difference that we end up being exposed to areas of our lives that we are perhaps unfamiliar with. Friends, we are a multi ethnic, multi generational, so, um, socioeconomically diverse people who by one Spirit of God are brought into relationship with one another. We are a community of difference, to borrow a phrase from uh, Scott McKnight, a New Testament scholar. But Jesus calls us a family, and Jesus prays that we would be one. And so we come together in our difference under the banner of Jesus' prayer for unity. And what I love about it, I want to borrow this proverb is I think that this is what happens. In Proverbs 27, we read as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, you've probably heard this verse before in the context of accountability partners and the importance or the emphasis of of us recognizing that we need other people to grow, and I totally agree with that. But what I love about this picture of iron sharpening iron is that when iron rubs against iron, it's not a comfortable thing, is it? Really, if you were to um, personify the iron that is being sharpened, you'd probably feel quite bad for it. (laughs) Because in the midst of it being sharpened, there's parts of it falling off. In the midst of it being sharpened, there is a significant amount of friction happening between the two pieces. In the midst of it being sharpened, those pieces of iron are probably uncomfortable and not liking the process, but they come out better at the end. Friends, I wonder if it is not the same for us in the context of our church Community. That when we sit with one another, when we commit to doing life together in the context of our difference, when we expose ourselves to things in other people that maybe we don't like very much, that a change actually begins to happen in us. This is why it's so important for us to be a part of a church community. And friends, I think one of the dangers in just attending church on Sunday and being a face in the crowd that comes and goes as quickly as possible or one of the dangers of simply watching church online is that you remove yourself from the iron. If your only touch point with with church is to just come and go quickly on a Sunday or just to watch online and, and hit like after the video is done and go about your week, you've removed yourself from the iron. And I think one of our natural temptations uh, that we have as people is to associate with those who are like us and to only associate with those who are like us. We want to associate with those who agree with us. But when we're only associating with those who are like us or those who agree with us, we remove ourselves from the iron. But here we are in a church building. Surrounded by people who maybe come from a different socioeconomic background than us, what can we learn from them? In what ways can they speak into our lives, those who are different? We look around this room, people represent different upbringings. We all have different stories. And I guarantee you, if you took time to sit with each person in the room, you would learn and grow as you listen to their story, as they told you about their childhood and their upbringing. And as you shared theirs, that life on life experience with someone different will only make you better. You think about being exposed to people of different cultural backgrounds. I love that about TCC. We want to celebrate our ethnic diversity. That I get to worship with my African brothers and sisters on a weekly basis is a blessing. That I get to worship with my Asian brothers and sisters on a weekly basis is a blessing. The fact that um, our Ukrainian families can come from Europe, settle in this place, not know the the language very well, but still worship with us on a Sunday morning is such an incredible blessing. When we read about the church in, in the book of Revelation, we get this picture of every tribe and tongue worshiping at the throne. And our experience here on a Sunday is a foretaste of that. But I know when we look at people who are culturally different than us, we aren't necessarily inclined to go and and talk to them or spend time with them. But it shouldn't be so. Because in learning from them about their theology or their perspective on God and life and family, I believe we will all grow. So friends, we grow up as we show up. And there's lots more that could be said on this. I'm excited next week. Jenna will be speaking on the reality that we are a community that is generationally diverse and the ways that we can learn from one another within generations. But I believe as we choose to commit ourselves to a community of faith, as we choose to show up to that community, as we choose to participate in that community, even when it feels hard or even when we're challenged. I believe we expose ourselves to a context where we can be kept accountable to our journey toward Christ-likeness, and we grow. So friends, that is the macro kind of vision. And again, lots more could be said. This idea of us being a community of accountability happening on the macro level. We grow up as we show up. We spend time with people who are different than us. We worship alongside this community. We learn with this community. We participate in the context of this community there's also a micro uh, reality to this, and that's that we grow in the soil of friendship as we intentionally engage with smaller groups. So while there's a significant, while there are significant benefits to our showing up and participating in the church family, there's also significant benefits from us intentionally walking alongside of one another toward maturity. So when we read the New Testament, historians believe that Paul's letters were being read to communities that were probably at the most 40 to 60 people. These are small house churches. And so when Paul's writing these letters to these communities and he's giving them all of this instruction around what it means to do life together, the context in which these letters are being read is basically small group context. Now, they were still socially diverse, they were still culturally diverse, um, they were generationally diverse, but they were a lot smaller than the 300 and some of us sitting in this room today. And so when we read the New Testament, it's important for us to keep that in mind. When we think church, we think this room and this group of people. But contextually, to the New Test- in the New Testament, the churches were much smaller groups, In our context, it's easy for us to isolate and separate ourselves from the whole. It's it's so tempting for us just to be a face in the crowd. It's tempting to just check off a box that I attended church without exposing our lives to, to, to one another. But Paul's vision of the church, I don't think, was ever quite like what we have today in the sense that there's this many people in one space. Rather, he's writing to these small groups of people. And if that's the case, how are we to live out the New Testament's vision of community if we are not immersing ourselves in smaller groups? Friends, this is why it is so important that we are engaging in life with other people. This is why it is so important that you find within your circles of friends people that you can say to them, Will you walk with Jesus with me? that we need to find friendships and relational contexts where we're able to uh, live some of this stuff out in a more intentional and meaningful way. And how do we do that? How do we walk that out? Well, I wanted to have read for us um, Galatians chapter 5 into chapter 6 um, the, uh, um, because I want to comment on this. How do we walk alongside one another um, in this way? How, how do we do that? Um, I want to camp for us in verse 2 of chapter 6, but again for us to see it in its context. Uh, When we read in verse 2 of chapter 6, we read that we need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's interesting to me about this verse about burden bearing is I always have thought about it in the context of identifying in someone's life a need that has arisen. You know, so someone's facing a health crisis. Well, I need to burden, I need to burden bear with them and help them through this crisis. Or, or someone is moving, and so I need to help them move. Or someone has a need, I'm going to respond to that need. But when we see this passage in its context, this verse about bearing with one another's burdens, we see that it has um, really basically nothing to do with responding to those types of practical needs, although I would say that that's a good application of it. But what's Paul saying here in Galatians chapter 5? What's his context? He's saying, well, if you live by the Spirit, let us keep step in the Spirit. Okay? So this whole section is about how do we live in step with the Spirit. And he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Uh, So here he's saying, don't think that you have arrived. You know, if, if you're looking at living life by the Spirit, don't come to a point where you say, I got it figured out. I know how to live life by the Spirit. I have arrived at that place. Paul is saying, no, don't become conceited. Then he goes on, Brothers, if any of you are caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Again, what's the context of the restoration? It's in the context of living life by the Spirit. He said, keep watch over yourself, lest you too um, be tempted. What's the context? Life in the Spirit. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So when we view this text in its context, we see that Paul here is not talking about burden bearing in terms of responding to practical need, although that is an okay application of this passage. But what he's talking about is, how do we help those who are struggling with sin? How do we help those who are struggling and facing temptation? I don't know about you, but when I read the list of the fruits of the Spirit, I see areas right away that are popping up to me. I'm like, man, I could be more loving. I could be more patient. I could be more kind. And my encouragement to us is that we see that for us to move in that direction, yes, God's Spirit is going to do a work in our hearts. But friends, I really believe we will grow when we plant ourselves in the soil of friendship and invite others to bear that burden with us. So I want to unpack this little verse just quickly um, by looking at the question, how do, we bur- how do we bear one another's burdens? How do we help to keep one another accountable to Jesus as we walk through this life? And as I talk about this, I want you to be asking yourself the question, who is it in my life that I could look at and say, they are helping me bear this burden of the temptation to sin? Who do I have in my life who I can look at and say, hey, will you bear this burden with me? And similarly, who is someone that you have in your life who you could help them bear their burden? So keep those questions in your mind as we look at this. When we look at this text, I think the first thing we notice is that when we burden bear, we bear one another's burdens with a desire for restoration. Bear one another's burdens with a desire for restoration. At the beginning of chapter 6, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. You restore him. Now, I've talked a lot about um, just part of my story is I used to build new homes. Before I would do new home construction, um, I was involved in doing various re- renovations. And renovations are so fun. I, I really enjoy them. There's that side of renovations where you go in and you tear everything out and you put in something new. But there's also a side of renovation where you go in and you look at what's there and then you begin to work to see it restored. And the way that you approach a demolition renovation or a restoration renovation is incredibly different. If I'm going to do a demolition renovation, I'm going to go in with a saw and a hammer and I'm going to rip everything out and I'm not going to care if I break anything along the way. If I'm doing a renovation, if I'm doing a restoration renovation, I approach it with different tools. I approach it with care. And the heart of the whole restoration is to see that thing restored, to see it look as though it is new again. Friends, this says a lot about our approach to one another and keeping one another accountable. It's it's looking at a brother or sister in Christ and saying, I want to see you become all Jesus wants you to be. I want to see you become more loving, patient, and kind. I want to work with you in this area of life to watch Jesus transform you and bring you back to life again in this area. Our heart posture has to be one for restoration. But this restoration is supposed to have this, the whole, um, the whole theme of it, the whole tone of it is one of gentleness. We restore, we bear one another's burdens with the posture of gentleness. One of my favorite definitions of gentleness is power under control. Gentleness is power under control. And think about that in light of accountability, Right? You see someone in sin. You see someone who's, who's, who's misstepped in the relationship with, with God. The power in that moment would go and say, you screwed up. You, you made a mistake. You're in trouble. It's to, to, to look at them and say, you're too far from grace or something like that. But Jesus invites us, Paul instructing us here, we keep one another accountable with a posture of gentleness. We bring that power under control and we walk alongside one another. I think this is very similar to the idea we read in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 that we are to speak the truth in love. And Ephesians 4 is great because it talks about us maturing in Christ. And I love it too. The, the, um, the word truth here is actually in the verb form. So you could translate it to say truthing in love. <laughs> That as we bring truth, as we point out the way of Jesus, as we bring correction, we do so with a, with a posture of gentleness and a spirit of love. The other attribute I believe that we need to see in this text about keeping others accountable is that we bear one another's burdens with mutual submission. With mutual submission. Paul says we need to keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And when I think about this passage And I think about this this piece here. It's it's this this reality that it's easy for us to stand over someone and tell them what they're doing wrong. But Paul is inviting us to keep an eye on ourselves, which I believe is to invite this other person into the journey as well. We recognize that we are journeying together towards Christ-likeness. That as much as someone might need restoration, there will come a time when I need restoration. So how do we walk together with that heart of humility, journeying together? together. Something I love that Eugene Peterson says is that in the in the in the company of Jesus there are no experts because everyone is a beginner and necessarily a follower in the company of Jesus. I love that. That as we follow Jesus collectively we're all following him. We're all in the same place as followers. We don't need to stand over one another and speak down to one another. Rather approach with a mutual submission and desire for maturity. And the last piece I see here is this idea that we need to bear one another's burdens as if it were you. Bear one another's burdens as if it were you. Paul tips his hat to the law of Christ. And while we can only um, speculate because Paul's not being explicit, Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. When Paul is inviting us here to, to bear one another's burdens as if it were you, it's this invitation to love your neighbor as yourself, that if someone has sinned, if someone has made a mistake, that we approach them and bring grace and mercy to them the same way we would want someone to bring grace and mercy to ourselves. That we look at someone who is struggling, we recognize that they aren't that different than we are, that we too struggle interesting thing to me about this text as well is the to me this the need for it to for us to be proactive in this the context of course of paul talking about burden bearing is the word caught if any of you are caught in sin and in the greek it it might not so much be talking about this idea of of this big exposure or this idea of someone being found out Um, it could speak to the reality of someone just identifying an area in their life that needs work But it also might speak to this idea of someone being found out. But friends, I pray that TCC can be the type of community where we're vulnerable enough with one another that we don't end up getting caught in our sin. What does it look like to be in a community of accountability, a community of vulnerability, where each one of us have other people in our lives who are working with us to bear the burden of walking with Jesus, the difficulty, the sins, the temptations that we don't end up being caught in our sin. Rather, we bring that sin to light in the company of friends. We say to them, hey, I'm struggling in this area. I need help in this area. I need prayer in this area. Because friends, we don't have to walk alone and we don't have to struggle alone. I think one of the negative, the, the, the byproducts of this individualistic culture is that people think not only do they have to go about life on their own, but they need to be victorious in going about their lives alone. That they they can't appear weak. They can't appear broken. They can't appear as if things are not okay. But friends, that is not what the church is meant to be like. We should be vulnerable with one another. Too many of us struggle alone. Based on statistics alone, it is highly likely that many of us in this room struggle in the area of sexual immorality. That many of us in this room are maybe hiding a pornography addiction from friends or from a spouse. Something that we do in the dark And we would hate for anyone to be found out. But the hiding of that is is exactly what's keeping us trapped in that sin. You don't have to struggle alone. Bring it to light. Some of you in this room are maybe struggling with doubt. That you look at God and, and you come to church, but you're really wrestling with it all. What's the point? Did Jesus really die from the dead? And if he did, what does that have to do with me? Like, what is all this faith stuff about? I feel like Jesus just keeps disappointing me over and over and over again. But you're scared to talk to somebody about it. But friend, you don't have to struggle alone. Maybe some of you here are struggling in the areas of anger or envy. You think about the Seven Deadly Sins series that we did last Lent. Um, There's no end of things that we see in our lives that are maybe out of step with what Jesus has for us. Maybe it's simply the struggle to put God first. You don't have to struggle alone. Or maybe it's simply the desire that you have in your life to be a certain type of father or mother, to be a certain type of spouse, to be a certain type of grandparent, aunt or uncle or friend. And you just want to be that type of person that you know Jesus is calling you to be, but you're struggling. You don't have to struggle alone. So friends, can TCC be a community of accountability in which each person feels that they have others to lean on, to share their burdens with and bear the burdens of others. I think it can. And while I'm not naive to say that that's where we're at right now, I think I have a vision to see our church become that type of place. Our staff often talk about TCC being a context where people feel that they are known and where they can know others. And as I've just identified, I think that there's, you know, the macro side of all of this where we're in the the kind of big church with everyone, but also this micro where each one of us believes and feels that they have friends and people that they can lean on. To that end, I encourage you to find a group, to find a space where you can get to know others at this church, to begin taking steps of vulnerability, to begin taking steps towards saying, you know, I I do have these issues, and I don't want to bear them alone. And whether or not that's a group at TCC, that's okay. We have various groups that meet throughout the month. Throughout the month, As Pastor Steve mentioned earlier today, we do have another day of our sign-up Sunday with new groups starting on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights, some of which still have space, where you can just come and be a part of a community where you can grow together in the context of community, in the context of friendship. And for some of us that's difficult, I would encourage you then to find a triad. A triad is very simply um, the the simplicity of going and finding two other people that you are saying we are committed to walking with Jesus together. Uh, Triads I would encourage to meet at a minimum once a month for a minimum of two hours. But in that context of friendship. It's it's a practice of bearing one another's burdens, sharing with one another what's going on in their lives and bringing their lives before one another in vulnerability, seeking to be more like Christ. The church doesn't need to program that for you. That's, again, the simplicity of finding two other people and saying, hey, will you walk with Jesus with me? Now, none of this is easy, it's tough, it takes work, it requires vulnerability. It requires a reordering of your calendar and your priorities. But friends, when we read about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 and we have this vision of this life that Jesus has called us into, I don't believe we can get there alone. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he did not leave us alone, but he sent us his Spirit. He sent us his, his Spirit which abides, which empowers us to live the kind of life that he has for us, but he also said in Matthew chapter 18, I think, that he was building a church. And that that same spirit that indwells us, indwells our brothers and our sisters, and it provides to us a community, a group, a context in which we can walk with Jesus and find strength together. For some of you also here, you've been doing this for a long time. And you're good at it. My question then for you is, how can you grow in your vision for ministering to others? How can you model and mentor the next generation or those around you to help them learn the practice of burden bearing? I'm not sure how you're hearing this message today. Perhaps you're hurting. Perhaps you're looking at this community and your your history is that you've actually experienced a lot more hurt than healing in the context of the church community. But I want to ask you the question: What if, what if this community is one that Jesus wants to use to minister healing to you? Perhaps you're longing for more of Jesus's presence. But what if it it is in this, the context of this community, that Jesus wants to reveal His presence to you, friends? We grow in the context of community. We grow up as we show up. We grow in the soil of friendship as we engage intentionally in the context of smaller groups. Jesus has built this church, and he calls us to it, and he calls it to be a context in which we walk together. So may TCC be a community of accountability. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for your work in and through us. Lord, and I thank you for the stories of each person here. Lord, we thank you for what has brought them to this place this morning. And Lord, my prayer is that this morning we would experience that spirit of unity that you promised to send. And Lord, and I pray that as each person in this room looks around and sees all the faces of perhaps strangers and people they aren't familiar with, I pray that you would help them to see that... They actually have a place here. Lord, we pray that this community would be one where people feel that sense of belonging. We pray that this community would be one where we sense that we do not have to struggle alone. So, Jesus, would you empower us by your Spirit to bear one another's burdens in a spirit of gentleness? Lord, may you empower us by your Spirit to fulfill the law of Christ and to walk alongside one another. And Lord, as we do that, we thank you, Lord, that the fruits of your Spirit will become evident in us. Let it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.